Welcome back. I hope you found something out there to notice that maybe you hadn't noticed before. And uh, at the end of this, this talk and practice period, I hope you'll continue that investigation, but with even more interest and curiosity. The Buddha, one of the first things he would teach when he would go to a new community, to a new place, was generosity. And he would often say that this is one of the first steps on the path. And yet generosity is actually, I think, a pretty advanced practice, even though it comes to us naturally. There's a in, beautiful instinct in us for generosity. But our culture, the way sort of, which I'll get into a little more, the way we uh, are brought up and in this world of exchange, sometimes generosity is hard. I, I remember a story from a, a practitioner that they just couldn't like this being generous for no reason wasn't really resonating with them and they were a very serious uh, practitioner and they understood that that was important and so they started their practice of generosity by picking up trash along their walks because they said that's generous right to pick up somebody else's trash and it was like yeah absolutely and it's interesting to think of why was that possible? What was the the underlying motivation? And besides the desire to practice, it was that that was a place where it was easy for that person to have appreciation. That where they walked, they liked it. It was a beautiful place. And so to take away the trash felt like, oh, I'm offering something to this place I care about. And this points to that generosity is much, much, comes more naturally and is a natural exhale, as I've said, when we appreciate, when there's the gratitude there. And this spiral, the gratitude opens the heart lets us know that we have enough, that there's abundance, and so that we can offer it back out. Some people talk about gratitude as the fifth Brahma Vihara, opening the heart. I like that because it feels that way. It has a Brahma Vihara, for those of you, that's a Pali expression, divine abodes, abodes of the heart that are warm and generous and available to be touched. And there's a man, David Steindl-Rast, who has written and talked quite a bit about gratitude. And he says something I really like. He says, in order for gratitude to arise, there has to be something we appreciate. So appreciation has to come up. And a f there also has to be present a feeling that we didn't necessarily earn it or make it happen. Isn't that interesting that it's a lot harder to have gratitude for something you bought, you paid for it. It's like it's more that it has arisen and you see that it's not owed to you. 
for gratitude to arise, the first thing that has to happen, which is fundamental to our practice, is we have to pay attention. We have to see what's here. And that's the mindfulness. That's the, that's the root here. And this is a, there's a very fundamental quality in the Buddha's teaching of wise attention. He talks about wise attention as where we put our attention on, what are we paying attention to? In other words, there's many, many things that it can happen uh, and what is happening all around us, but where do we choose to put our attention? So first we have to see something, put our attention there and notice it. And then we start to have the possibility of these, this, uh, uh, quality of appreciation to arise. It's been interesting. I've been teaching a number of in-person retreats after a long period of time. And as some of you know, Spirit Rock has opened up and is teaching. And I was here last week teaching a week-long residential retreat. And it was amazing the amount of gratitude and appreciation that it, everyone who came to sit the retreat felt and for being there just that that could happen and it was pretty interesting to think oh yeah before in that before world it would have been like yeah of course i can go sit a retreat at a retreat center of course i can go in person but you you take that away make it not happen for a while and then all of a sudden you notice, oh, I'm in a room with people. How wonderful is that? Before I might've just noticed how they like moved in a way I didn't like, or I didn't like the color of their coat, but now I'm just so excited to be with people. So that our attention gets tuned sometimes, and then we can notice it and appreciate it. It's like a kind of intimacy with what's here. David Steindl Rass says, gratefulness is the key to a happy life that we hold in our hands. Because if we are not grateful, then no matter how much we have, we will not be happy. Because we will always want to have something else or something more. Can you feel how the Buddha with his, the clarity of the Four Noble Truths, that clinging, Grasping after things is contrary to our happiness. And gratitude for what is already here is the complete opposite that. It's, it's almost like a shortcut to the third noble truth of not wanting something. I have a friend, there's a, there's a gratitude practice that I wanna share with you. And I, if you feel the urge, I encourage you to take it up after this. Um, but it's to name three things at the end of each day, three things that you have gratitude for. And you have a gratitude buddy and you perhaps text them to them. There's no response, not a big discussion. You just write them down, text them off into the world or leave them on an email or whatever. And I have a friend who's been doing this for 20 years. And I don't know, because I've only known her maybe 24 years, uh, 
but she's one of the most generous people I know. There's something about tuning to all the things that you appreciate, as I was saying before. So you're tuning to the inhale and then the outhale, then, then the out breath. And what this is doing is repeatedly repairing the delusion that happiness comes from grasping. So this is fundamentally counter counteracting that clinging, that tendency. In the traditional teachings, it sometimes it's said in a very simple way that I said at the beginning, acknowledging this precious life. Like that's where to start with gratitude, right? You're alive. What a miracle that is. Sometimes it strikes you, doesn't it? It's like, wow, this whole thing functions. All you have to do is have something that doesn't function to then appreciate all the other parts of the body that do function. It's remarkable. And it's traditional also to bring up an appreciation for the Dharma. So as I start talking about gratitude, it's interesting to start to consider some of the things that block us. Why don't we just why don't we just walk around in this state of like uh, infinite appreciation all day? What's going on that we don't see this? Because we, we don't. It's it. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't. But one thing to acknowledge is there's the negativity bias. And I'm sure everybody's familiar with some aspect of that. The tendency to look at what's going wrong, what the problem is. And there's good evolutionary reasons for that. You know, if there wasn't enough grain in the storehouse, you were going to starve in the winter. But we, our emphasis on that tends to have us constantly tuning to what the problem is, what's not okay. And this practice of gratitude is an invitation to tune the other way. Can you feel how potentially revolutionary that is in your own mind? To instead of looking for where the problem is, to look for what is here that you appreciate. This is a very, very skillful use of wise attention which the Buddha said, that is the key to practice. He said, that's the foundation. From there, it all grows. And this natural negativity bias then, I think, is exaggerated some by our cultural context, by the utilitarian exchange relationship we have with things, with other people. You know, what, what am I going to do? what do I do to get something I want? Where, you know, I work to get it, there's an exchange, I get what I want. And this sense of, it's not a gift. It wasn't, I had to make it happen. And I found in myself, this can be very deeply rooted, a kind of like, well, I'm making it happen. It's not just coming to me. And if I stop trying to make it happen, it's all gonna fall apart. There's a lot of delusion in that. That sense of deserving, that I deserve this. Sometimes you hear, 
uh, I hear somebody will say something and they've said it to me with just the most kindest thing like, oh, you work really hard. You deserve this. And I can feel myself cringe a little because it's like deserving something kind of takes all the juice out of it. Now the now the um, appreciation for it is sort of like lukewarm. There's a great little uh, story of and the Simpsons, um, Bart was asked to say grace. And this is what he says. Dear God, we paid for all this stuff ourselves. So thanks for nothing. Very Stinson, uh, Simpson-esque. But that's what happens when we, dis- when we think we have already, if it's owed us, what do we appreciate? And it's interesting, an opposite thing can happen because of our exchange economy, that somebody offers us something that we have a gift, receive, you know, the breath we breathe, the water we drink, and we can also flip into kind of like a self-critique, like feeling unworthy. Why is this being given to me? But, you know, I think there's a mistake here. I didn't earn this. You ever felt that it's back it's and there's a certain kind of um distrust in it like oh if i'm receiving a gift does that mean i'm gonna owe somebody something because we're so used to the exchange and it blocks us this is from uh, robin wall kimmerer in her fabulous book braiding sweetgrass she says we are showered every day with gifts but they are meant not meant for us to keep. And I think this, I'll read a little more, but this is very important because if we think that it ends here, it's easy to feel like, oh, it's too much for me. I can't accept the gifts of the world. And sometimes we even like, I'm taking up too much space in the world. And it's like, no, all the gifts are coming in on the in-breath but it's not meant to end with you. It goes back out. She says, we are showered every day with gifts, but they are not meant for us to keep. Their life is in their movement, the inhale and exhale of our shared breath. Our work and our joy is to pass along the gift and to trust that what we paid, put out into the universe will always come back. When we feel ourselves in this flow, it's so much easier to receive. For some of us, the receiving is very challenging. Have you noticed? I noticed somebody wants to offer something to me and it's taken me years to be like, to move from like, no, thanks, no, I don't need that, I'll be fine, to, oh, thank you, how wonderful. And, Now they've had the joy of being able to give it and I've had the joy of receiving it. And what happens next? It moves around, it keeps going. The sense that, I was saying that sense of obligation that when we think we are owed something, it blocks the gratitude. And I I had the, great privilege for many years to work as a search and rescue. I was a search and rescue person in Yosemite, 
And then in the Grand Teton, I was a ranger for the Park Service. And one of the things that was really beautiful about that work was how appreciative, just deeply grateful people were for being rescued in one way or another. And one of the things that was key in that, which is a little, contra little contrary to what we might think, is that they, they realized they had made a mistake, that they were imperfect, that they had in some ways, they were a participant in getting themselves into trouble. And in that acknowledgement, there's a certain kind of humility. And with the humility comes the possibility of appreciation. I have a, one of my friends who was an incredible climber, skier, still is, um, and he sort of young man with a lot of uh, ambition and a certain amount of arrogance, which he would have admitted to, um, climbed someplace up to ski down that he shouldn't have been. The conditions weren't good. The whole thing avalanched. He was swept off the mountain down to the bottom. And um, it took a while, but then people figured out that he didn't come back. And, and I remember him sharing with me the incredible arising of gratitude that came when a person, he happened to know them, but one of the rescue rangers arrived and he saw that the person was there. And in that moment knew that he would be okay. And he said that that moment of gratitude changed his whole perspective in life. And you can hear in that, you don't have to have that extreme situation. You might have it come up when you have a very difficult time, when you have a life-threatening situation, when something happens that's very challenging for you. And then it's like, oh, oh, appreciating my life, what's here. We get out of that mode of presuming, of expectation. The grace of it, the grace of it. Sometimes people talk about, you know, the gift economy, and I don't know the economy part of it, but I can say the gift part. I've been here in California just for a couple of weeks, and I just, I noticed that uh, a couple of people, one person gave me, um, persimmons off their tree and somebody else gave me apples off their tree and isn't it amazing how an apple off somebody's tree tastes different than the one you buy in the store it's like there's a there's a internal bow of like this was just offered i didn't do anything for it it's glorious the rain the water the earth grew it and it was just passed to me. Another thing that can block 
our sense of gratitude is when we have fear. When there's fear, when we aren't sure that we'll be okay. And that's understandable. In a small event or a big event, when we have a sense of scarcity or pain. But then there is often in that a potential for moving to appreciation. There's sort of a funny story when I was working in Yosemite, um, there were some guys way up, partway up half dome, and they were flashing their light, you know, three times, meaning, which is like the classic SOS signal. And um, I was sent out there with a big megaphone thing to try to make contact with them. And they were, they were, it was the middle of the night and they'd gotten lost. They couldn't figure out how to down. They were on the middle of a cliff and they were like quite agitated. And then as soon as I started talking to them through the thing, they realized, oh, somebody knows that we're here and you could just feel them calm down. And there was really nothing that needed to be done right then. They had enough clothes. It wasn't that cold. They were going to make it through the night. The absolute worst thing that was happening was they happened to have stopped for the night on a red ant hill or a red ant thing. So they were suffering some from the red ants. But all of a sudden, that fear that they had came into contact. And with that, the fear and the discomfort changed to gratitude and they were just like so happy and appreciative i remember even you know even right then and then afterward they wrote this long appreciation and it's like all of a sudden this ant filled black night on the side of a cliff turned into this occasion of just appreciation the fear was drained out of it and obviously another major block to gratitude and appreciation is grasping wanting something else wanting our experience to be different than it is so notice like we just did this meditation if you had an idea of what your meditation should look like, which we often all do to greater or lesser degrees on different days. But when we get an idea, it should look a certain way. We should, um, our minds should be quiet. It should all be going well. What happens? We don't really appreciate what is there. We don't appreciate the meditation we have because it's not the one we wanted. But then if you let go of the one you thought you wanted, then the possibility for happiness, for appreciation. And this is a fundamental misunderstanding. I like this quote from John Lennon. He says, when I was five years old, my mother always told me that happiness was the key to life. When I went to school, they asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. I wrote down happy. They told me I didn't understand the assignment. And I told them they didn't understand life. 
what is most important can't be gotten, bought, sold. It's blocked by the constriction of thinking a moment doesn't have, isn't full of possibilities, feeling like there's no way out. And then there can be a shift and we change our view and there's something possible there. I remember a short little anecdote. I was in uh, the Denver airport because that's the airport I have to fly through to get back to Moab, Utah. And uh, in the winter, it's always a little sketchy. And I was flying through and yes, the airport shut down. I was, got a hotel room for the night and that was great. The next morning I'm checking out and I meet the flood of people coming in because the airport is still completely shut down. At that point though, I'm told by people coming in and by the hotel staff that there is not a single hotel available anywhere. Done, history. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll go to the airport and um, sleep on the floor somewhere because it was gonna be at least 24 hours, maybe 36 before there were any flights. I was like, not my favorite thing to do. Um, I wish I brought my, I didn't know I needed to bring my camping pad with me on my airline trip. And then just as I was like trying to figure this out, somebody, complete stranger, and they asked me, well, I, I work here and I'm here on, and I'm in a suite and there's a pullout couch. Would you, would you like to stay on that? I was like, oh my God. Yes, of course, I would like to stay on your couch. Thank you so much. So here I am stuck in this place. And actually, my experience of the next 24 hours was just bathed in this appreciation. It, and it's it stayed. I mean, for you can imagine it stayed certainly the whole eight hours on the couch, but it kept with me. Oh, I'm stuck, but I'm not stuck. There's possibilities here. There's even, there's even like we can bring that attitude, leave out the even for the moment, but we can bring out that attitude wherever we go. I back, I'm in the back country a lot, backpacking. And I notice how the place to sleep, to finding a campsite, has this like, oh, look what the natural world has offered me. Look what's become available here. It's flat, it's not full of rocks. There's, it's, it's like right here. It's so simple and it's so good. Or you're looking for water and you find water. It's like, oh, there's water. I hike a lot in the desert. It's, it's really fabulous when you find a pothole, when you're looking for water. So right there, it can be so simple. And there's also the possibility, and this is a little trickier territory, but to be grateful for what is difficult because there's opportunity hidden in it. 
And it said the Tibetan, well, actually no ones who have this, but Tibetan monks and nuns have a saying that translates something as this, grant me enough suffering that I might awaken my deepest compassion and wisdom. So there's a recognition in that, that our practice changes when we are grateful even for the messy stuff for the things that are difficult. Not that anyone wants pain or suffering, we're not saying that, but realizing that even in that, we can appreciate the possible unfolding and learn from it. Perhaps certain difficult situations, we learn patience. That's what you, if nothing else, that's what you learn when you have a difficult sit. You think you're ha not having the right sit, but if you pay attention, you're at least learning determination and patience. Maybe you're learning something about energy and lack of energy. There's all sorts of possibilities there, just in a sit. This is a poem from uh, Rosemary Watula Tromer, a poet that I love dearly, called Practice. To be grateful, not only for flour, but also for mud, grime, slug, slime, the dingy, the filthy, the tired. To be grateful, not only for star, but also for what is prickly, thornsome, tricky, testy, sore. To be grateful, not only for warmth, but also for the cold that holds it, the chill, the bite, the nip, the freeze. The breeze that blows always head on to not only say thanks, but live it. To not only know thanks, but give it. So this is from uh, David Stendhal Rast again. He says, as we learn to give thanks for all of life and death, for all of this given world of ours, we find a deep joy. It is a joy of trust, the joy of faith and the faithfulness at the heart of all things. It is the joy of gratefulness in touch with the fullness of life. He's pointing to this shift in the worldview, nothing less than that. Understanding that what is here is an opportunity very impermanent, very uh, momentary, nothing we can depend on, not future oriented, but right in this moment, what can we touch? Famous couplets from William Blake, he who binds to himself a joy does the winged life destroy. He who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. One, this radical move of going from wanting the pleasant, wanting something special, wanting something more, to wanting what is here. This is cultivating contentment, cultivating the thank you. A few years ago, I had a bad rash of health things and surgeries and illnesses. 
And it was amazing. It gave me so much appreciation of the health of my body or what I happened to be in a pretty good phase at the moment. Only my back hurts and only my knees hurt. And I'm like, yes, I, but I can still walk. I can move around. And it's like, so cool. I love it. And there's in my mind, yeah, there'll be more. I'm not getting younger. I'm getting, I'm going the other direction, like all of us. Gateways to gratitude. We have to look for them. It's a practice. One of the ways I was talking about wise attention, but one of the ways we can practice with this is with intimacy by being paying more careful attention getting close to things. One of my favorite quotes from Henry Miller, and you can feel the appreciation in this. He says, I remember well the transformation which took place in me when I first began to view the world with the eyes of a painter. So you don't have to be a painter to do this, but with the eyes of a painter, the most familiar things objects which I had gazed at all my life now became an unending source of wonder and with the wonder of course affection a teapot an old hammer a chipped cup whatever came to hand I looked upon it as if I had never seen it before to paint is to love again to live again to see again can you feel the relationship of mindfulness, of our practice of mindfulness to this bringing in the eyes of the painter? It's to see, to touch, to feel, to sense in our bodies anew. There's a wonderful, um, there's a wonderful artist, he's a filmmaker, and his name is Louis Schratzberg, and he creates these beautiful time-lapse photographs. You can look it up, look them up. It's really quite wonderful. Schratzberg, maybe. Um, and he, the beautiful dance of a flower as it opens and it responds to the light and the night. And then the movement of uh, light across a landscape or the clouds through space or the way a strawberry turns red over time. And he talked and he spent his life in the, this creating this seeing and the appreciation of it and the devotion to the beauty of things. And he talks about awe, which I love. He talks about that awe is like this sense of gratitude but with a quality of completeness and devotion. And he talks about that phrase, you know, like when you see something like that is amazing, a sunset that's spectacular, or you go someplace that in the natural world you haven't seen before. And you say, oh my God. And I love it. He says, oh, is the attention. You're right there. Oh, and my, is the it's resonating with you you can feel it in you oh my and the god is the sense of connection to the soul 
to your aliveness, to awakeness. It's like you've been struck awake into aliveness. In his film, he says, in one of his films, he says, this day is a gift. It is the only gift we have. And the only response is gratitude. If you do nothing but cultivate that response, respond as if it is the first day and the last day, you will spend it well. Open your eyes and be surprised that you can open them. A very simple version of this from Rosemary, which will again called after hiking an hour up the mountain. A big green meadow opened in my heart, filled with dark purple larkspur and fragrant sage, and I stepped into it, wondering how I had ever stepped out of it. Come, meet me here, here in the temple of pulse and blue sky, where everything seems possible, even love forever, even love right now. Can you hear in this exploration of awe and in this poem that one of the invitations is this willingness to surrender to the moment, to let yourself fall into it, that gratitude has is a, an opening. Sometimes I mention this, the bowing practice is a kind of offering a surrendering into what is here, allowing, accepting, appreciating, an open and responsive heart. Eckhart Tolle has a lovely say, phrase. He says, if the only prayer you ever said was thank you, that would suffice. That would suffice. You know, I mentioned that I went through this rash of illnesses and surgeries. And it was quite remarkable. I had an emergency surgery. I woke up in the morning with bad abdominal pain. And uh, I was actually here at Spirit Rock when it happened. And I ended up in the local hospital uh, through a whole, whole series of events, urgency, you know, urgent care, and then the emergency room. And the thing that I was most aware of through the whole day, all the way up until 7.30 when I was wheeled into an operating room, at which point I didn't get to keep having my gratitude because I was unconscious. But up till there, what I, I just kept being so grateful. Oh my goodness. There's all these kind people around me trying to figure out what's going on, seeing what they can do. And even when it was like hours before you could get me into a, a scanning machine or, you know, it was like they were doing the best they could. And I just went, wow, isn't that cool that there's a machine that can scan to see what the problem is? <gasps> isn't it cool that I get to be in it? Wow, isn't it great that I'm in a bed and I'm warm? And it just, I just kept noticing, and I was in very severe pain. It was really intense. And yet, there was an openness to the gratitude that came, I would assume, from my practice. It isn't where I started, I promise you. 
that the practice carried me through that in a completely unexpected way. Just kept being grateful. And in this gratitude, we keep dropping any sense of self-isolation, the idea that we're alone. This is so important because sometimes we can have the idea that we're going through this life independent of everyone. You know, yeah, we're really dependent when we're young and maybe we're dependent when we're old, but in the middle, I take care of myself. It's such an illusion, isn't it? There's things, there's probably not one of us here. Maybe somewhere there, you know, I'm not saying it's not possible, that isn't dependent on someone else for at least part of their food, for their clothes, for some aspect of their shelter. You know, it's like we are in this constant flow with everything. I, I bring this in like when I go backpacking and I'm by myself and I feel so independent by myself out there. And then I'm just like, yeah, look at the backpack you've got, the sleeping bag, the pad, the food. You are so not out here alone. You've got the entire world on your back in a good way. The whole world is supporting you in being here. I couldn't be there otherwise. So this recognition that we're in a relationship and that this is a wonderful and beautiful thing. This is from Joanna Macy. She says, to be alive in this beautiful self-organizing universe, to participate in the dance of life with senses to perceive it, lungs that breathe it, organs that draw nourishment from it, is a wonder beyond words. Gratitude for the gift of life is the primary wellspring of all religions, the hallmark of the mystic, the source of all true art. Furthermore, it is a privilege to be alive in this time when we can choose to take part in the self-healing of our world. So there's the breathing in and there's the breathing out. But we have to breathe in first. So I want to end here with just a couple of suggestions for having a practice of gratitude. And I mentioned one, actually having an intentional practice of it at the end of each day, finding someone that you do an exchange with. And this, and what this does, you can do it with or without that exchange, what this does is helps us notice what we're paying attention to. By having to come to the end of the day with a list of, even if it's just three things that we're grateful for that aren't a repeat from the day before, you have to notice. You have to notice things. Notice that when you turn the tap, if you're one of the lucky people in the world that gets to turn a tap and have water come out, that's pretty remarkable. 
And it just starts there. And being willing to feel it completely. Notice where the blocks come up that I mentioned. I don't deserve it, or I earned it, or it's owed to me, or I, you know, I don't, a resistance of like, I'm not sure I want to be in that intimate relationship with the world. Can I just like pay for it and be done with it? You know what? Notice what blocks might be there and see if you can play with that. Get to know what blocks it and then see if it, what, what things you have natural gratitude for and where you have to perhaps bring in a little bit of humility a little bit of like, no, maybe I just didn't do this all by myself. You know, even when we earn something, we didn't do it by ourselves. How'd we get there? How'd we get into that position that somebody that that came to us? There's always more to the picture. Being curious, being curious, like with your body, where can you find a place of gratitude and appreciation for a part of your body. What if when we end this, you just stand up and like, if you can stand up or move, if you can move or move an arm, if that's possible for you, or look, if that's what's possible for you, whatever is possible for you, finding gratitude in that. softening and recognizing that the gratitude is not in fact is almost contradicted by an idea that we have to be perfect that we have to get it right that there's an acknowledgement of imperfection of just being another being on this planet that makes space for us to receive what's here. This open heart, responsiveness. So I hope when you when we end, you will wander around wherever you are with this, this attitude. See what to see what happens. I'm going to end the my talk here with a poem from Hafiz, Buttering the Sky. Slipping on my shoes, boiling water, tasting bread, buttering the sky. That should be enough contact with truth in one day to make anyone crazy. So thank you. I hope I've brightened your day. And I'd love it if people might put um, put in the chat just maybe any comments or something that you're grateful for. Some just naming something that is here. And maybe again, if you as we come towards the end, if you want, turn your camera on and we'll just sort of see everyone and maybe look around and see what it's like to be grateful for this, these people, many of whom you probably don't know.
but they're all out there in the world and they all chose to show up and hear the Dharma and practice together this evening. Isn't that an amazing thing to be grateful for? Birds and rain. I hear it's lots of gratitude for rain, for those of us in the rain. Hmm. Grateful that we can do this in a warm home. Thank you for bringing in the support of the earth. Grateful for that and our practice. Ah, gratitude for snow. It's snowing somewhere. Gratitude for awareness, the teachings and everyone here. A warm blanket and cozy socks. I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> That's a long one for the tax person who's helping someone figure out how to do that. Glad for calmness and yes, also snow. Well, there may be some more coming, but I want to thank all of you and express my gratitude for your being here this evening and for your practice. Thank you for your practice and for your good heart. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.